we need to be ambitious, right? I'd see mm. these companies who are, you know, reaching billions of people around the world when they work in their own communities, they are, you know, trying to tackle homelessness in their communities or whatever. And they're, they're, they're not solving the problem. They're just like helping a few people. Right. Mm. And so we need to be equally ambitious in the social impact that we're trying to have. This is the Social Leader Podcast, inspired by business leaders, entrepreneurs, volunteers, and visioneers striving to close the gap between their passion and their social action. They are the leaders among us who crave the entrepreneurial adventure of moving beyond charitable intentions to lead with greater social impact every day. Social leaders are the most impactful leaders in the world because... They are empowering companies and communities to sustainably solve our world's most pressing problems. Welcome back to the Social Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Father Justin Matthews. I am so excited today to welcome my guest, Ann May Chang. Ann May is an incredible author, an incredible leader. She wrote a book called Lean Impact. I have been nerding out on this book and on about every TED Talk and podcast that I can get since I discovered Ann May. And for good reason, she is a leading expert on social innovation who brings together really unique insights from her experience, her extensive work across the tech industry, nonprofits, the U.S. government. She was the chief innovation officer at USAID. She served as the first executive director of the U.S. Global Development Lab, where she engaged best practices for innovation from Silicon Valley and then applied them to accelerating impact and scaling solutions for our world's most intractable problems. But her experience doesn't stop there. Actually, Ann May was a seasoned technology executive before transitioning into the social sector, more than 20 years experience leading at companies such as Google, Apple, and Intuit, and a wide range of startups. Ann May, welcome to the Social Leader Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. Absolutely. It's such an honor to have you here. I've been telling all my friends on LinkedIn and Instagram that I was getting the privilege of interviewing Ann May Chang. I've also uh, bought many, many copies of your book for my leadership team at Reconciliation Services. We're really enjoying leading through uh, Lean Impact, and I've probably recommended it to at least 100 other people. So hopefully you've had some good sales off of that. <laughs> Fantastic. It sounds like you're my number one promoter. <laughs> Love I'm it. I'm trying to be. Well, what you do and what you uh, work on in Lean Impact and in creating better avenues for social impact and bringing together the best of business, faith, and philanthropy, all of those different sectors and government all into one, uh, it really speaks to my heart. And I think it speaks to the people who listen to this podcast. And I want to begin with just talking about your journey because you've had this fascinating career and you started out in the corporate world and you at one point made this massive leap over into the social sector. But now you're not just sort of running a sleepy nonprofit. You're bringing all of that business experience and innovation experience into the social sector. So tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. Sure. Well, as, as you mentioned, I spent most of my career in the tech world, um, studied as a software engineer, worked in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Um, but early on in that journey, I'd say probably in my mid-20s, I made a decision that I wanted to spend the first half of my career in the private sector and the second half of my career 
doing something to work, make the world a better place. Um, and I knew it was still a ways off at that point. So I didn't decide exactly what that would be. But as I got closer to that point in my career, I started thinking about all the things I cared about in the world and decided what I really cared. Um, you know, one of the things that was at the root of so many of the problems I cared about was global poverty. Um, and so I decided to focus on global poverty and uh, made the transition from at the time I was a senior engineering director at Google um, to uh, take on this fellowship at the State Department and, and really never looked back. It's been so rewarding and fulfilling. A lot of people wouldn't have made that choice, Anne May. I mean, to go from being the senior engineering director at Google, working on things like Google Maps and Gmail and helping to launch products that are sort of ubiquitous with our world now, the way we we do life. I mean, that was a huge decision for you. You sort of glossed that part where it's like, well, after my 20s, I decided I would go and do good. I mean, walk me through that a little bit. Was there something that happened that really, you know, pricked your heart about global poverty? Or was there something you saw in the business world that you thought, man, I, I've got to do something different? What led to that decision? You know, what led to the decision, the decision I made was really in my 20s. And what led to the decision was there, there was a specific precipitating event, which was um, a woman I knew at Apple who was very, very much senior to me um, uh, named Elizabeth Birch was an executive at Apple. Um, and she announced that she was lead, leaving her like senior role at Apple to come to Washington, D.C. Um, and lead the human rights campaign. Um, and oh, wow. so it was it sort of like kind of shocked me and, and made me recognize like, hey, that's really amazing. I'd love to do something like that, you know, kind of get into, you know, learn what I can in the in the business world, but then dedicate my life to, you know, doing something that that really is directly trying to make the world a better place. And while I think it's absolutely possible to do so also in business, that was not nearly as prevalent, um, you know, 30 years ago in mm -hmm. business. And also, I really wanted to like, just purely focus, first and foremost, on on impact. Um, as for as for global poverty, um, that part is a little untraditional and that I really am an engineer at heart. And so um, rather than sort of following my heart, and, you know, you know, tugging at my heartstrings to like, want to save, you know, pandas or wanting to save, you know, right. For that or the other thing, for me, it was really a analytical, um, you know, decision where I looked at, you know, what are all the things I care about, you know, in terms of the environment, in terms of suffering, and so forth. And I just felt like global poverty, um, and you know, all the people who are suffering from not having enough and not having the opportunities that that I've had, um, you know, all the ripple effects of that cause so many of the ills that we see in the world. Well, we're thankful that you made the switch. And then you went on to write this book, Lean Impact, and, and you brought everything that you'd learned, it seems like, in the world of innovation, in the world of Silicon Valley. And then you, you're you you know really turning all of that on its head, not to focus just on shareholder value, but to really build that stakeholder value, to focus on social impact, to lead with greater social impact, and to innovate, you say, radically for greater social good. So let's just quickly unpack what Lean Impact means to you and what's in that book if people haven't read it yet. Absolutely. So just to take a step back, one of the tough things in making this shift in my career was um, you, you know, I had been an engineering director. I knew how to build massive software projects that were used by millions of people, hundreds of millions of people. Um, but the big question was, 
what relevant skills did I have to, you know, tackling global poverty? It's a very, very different world. And so I knew I had a lot to learn. My couple years at the State Department as a fellow were, were really about me trying to understand the space, trying to understand the needs, trying to understand where could I fit in here. Um, and initially, everybody was like, oh, you come from Silicon Valley. Well, make us an app or make us a website. Right. And I had been you know, out of directly engineering myself for long enough that I wasn't really the best person to build an app or a website. Um, I had been managing large teams of people who were doing that sort of work. Um, and so it took me a while as I learned about the work that was being done and so forth. What I found was that the work that we do for social impact often is not using the most modern tools and approaches that have led to you know, the incredible acceleration of growth in Silicon Valley. We need to see that same acceleration of growth when it comes to impact. Um, and so um, over time, I recognized that these tools that really were able to, you know, that, that were sort of part of the, you know, in the blood in, in Silicon Valley, right? Like right. sort of part, in the water, if you will, that, that th th those same tools that could lead to, you know, untold billions of wealth could lead to also untold billions of impact, right? And so um, I set out to try to figure out how we can adapt these tools because it's not the same thing. It's very different. How, but how can we adapt the principles from these tools to social impact? Well, and lean impact is all about that. And you go all the way from sort of what is lean startup and Eric Reese and how do you apply the whole lean startup concept to the social sector? And then you get into funding mechanisms. And, and I think one of the things that's great about what you've done is you've talked about how lean impact can apply not only to the practitioner or to the social entrepreneur or to the business person who just wants to lead with greater impact, but then you, you walk it through comprehensively into really a methodology for how to scale and how to drive and deliver innovation in the social world. But I don't think any of that would have happened if you hadn't had this combination of the heart and the head like you talk about in the book. And, and I'd love for you to really unpack that because so many people, I think, lead with either the heart, which is that classic mission-driven nonprofit guy or, or gal, right? They lead with the heart or they lead with the head, which is the classic business sector leader. And so talk more about engaging with both our heart and our head, irrespective of what sector you come from. How do we get to that place where we've combined those things? Yeah, so, um, you know, the business sector traditionally leads with its head, right? And what we do with that is we optimize our profits. You know, we're very rigorous about optimizing profits. Our aim is shareholder value. And we, you know, many businesses are very successful in achieving that. On the other hand, many nonprofits lead with their heart. They lead with kindness. They lead with empathy. They lead with wanting to do good in the world. Um, and what I would argue is they do a lot of good in the world, but that they are not, they don't bring the sort of rigor to bringing that good to maximize the impact that we have, they have in the world. And so if we can bring those two things together where we use our hearts to really define the the change that we want to achieve, you know, to lead with that empathy, to lead with, um, you know, really trying to, to look at how can we improve people's lives in a, in a substantive and sustainable way. But we also bring in our heads to really be ruthless about experimenting and learning and optimizing so that we are making the biggest impact for the most number of people, if, if we're talking about people here. Um, 
the, that blend of the two is incredibly powerful and in what, what I hope we can achieve by taking approaches like impact um, to, to use the sort of tools of business for, for you know, delivering the most you know, value for money, if you will, and mm -hmm. melding that with you know, a heart-led intention of um, doing good. Yeah, I talk about in my course, the social leader essentials, how do we move from charitable intentions to integrated social priorities in our work and in our life? What would you say to somebody in the corporate world who hasn't made the switch yet to social sector? Maybe they're never going to switch to a nonprofit, right? Mm -hmm. But they want to do more than write checks at chicken dinners. They want to do more than, you know, serve on the nonprofit board. They've got all of these skills what would you say to them are some practices or recommendations for how they can begin to make that combination of the heart or the head? How do they start doing that? Make it sort of practical, if you would. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I might have a slightly non-traditional answer to that, but, but okay. I would start with the intention um, and get very explicit. So just business leaders are great at setting an intention for their revenue targets or their profit targets or their sales targets and hitting them, right? And, and at the same time, I see the most successful business leaders who are making billions of dollars for their companies turn to the social sector and decide that they're going to feed 100 people um, and, and not have that same ambition, not have the same... Um, you know, clarity of purpose that they do as on the business side. So first thing I'd say is like set a clear, ambitious intention of the change that you want to achieve um, from the social impact side of things, right? Doesn't mean that you have to not also have your business goals, but be equally specific and equally ambitious in your goals on the impact side of the equation. Um, because if you start with that, if you start with an ambition to truly change things, um, in the world in a positive way, then you can take all the tools at your disposal that you've learned in the business world and really use that to, to, to achieve those ambitions. You talk about the idea of uh, sort of bringing together certain character traits that would normally be associated with business folks or entrepreneurs, things like grit, things like being agile or being flexible. But then you throw in this other word that I don't think is always in the business world. Maybe it is, but humility. You uh -huh. talk about the need for humility, flexibility, and grit. So where does that begin? You've got the intention set. You're doing the deep research. You, you know, you're, you're relentless in your pursuit of impact and education. Now, how do I begin to cultivate the next step for humility, flexibility, and grit? Yeah, so um, humility is a great word and so important in, in so many of the things that we do and so under-focused on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so one of the things that I think is really important for us to distinguish is when there's, I just wrote an article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, came out a couple weeks ago, um, about amazing. Engine 1 and Engine 2. Um, and I think it's really important for us to be clear what we're what is the nature of the problem we're trying to tackle whether in business or in for impact sometimes we're doing things that we have a known solution that is mm -hmm. effective enough is scalable enough and all it takes is that we need to execute flawlessly to really achieve our goals um you know many 
businesses that are more traditional businesses run that way. Um, and in that case, you know, there's a very, you know, very well worn set of tools for, you know, driving execution. On the other hand, tools like Lean Impact and Lean Startup are intended for what we call engine two, which are um, places where we have problems or we have business goals where our current solutions are simply insufficient. I would say that that is the case far more often than not in when it comes to social impact, because the reason that we are have these social challenges is because there's some combination of market failure and government failure such that some needs are not being effectively served. And so when we have a situation where our solutions fall far short of the needs that exist, either that they're not making enough difference or they're not making a difference for enough people, um, that's where we need to innovate. Um, and in order to innovate, we need to go in recognizing that we don't yet have a solution that's good enough. And that takes humility to, to recognize this is not good enough. Mm. We can't just keep doing this thing because we can you know, do it to a blue in the face and we will only get to 1% of the solution. We need to step back, know that we don't have the, the right, all the answers yet and start experimenting, start learning, start trying to figure out how do we come up with a solution that really is um, sufficient to the problem at hand. Um, and I think that what we see in the business world, particularly in Silicon Valley, I've heard a lot of venture capitalists actually look for that quality of humility um, when they're investing in an early stage startup, because those early stage startups, they don't have the answer yet. Typically, they're going to have to pivot many times before they right. get to the answer. And this is the same thing when we're working for social impact is that we're typically working in spaces where we just don't have the full answer yet. Um, and in that case, we need that humility to know we shouldn't just plow forward and that we need to keep our eyes and ears open for new ideas and for ways to continue learning and being as nimble as possible to find that solution that is really going to work. Yeah, I mean, the engine of the market is so powerful when we're talking about the scalability of social solutions. The other thing that you brought out right there is this notion of parachuting in with a predetermined solution as the philanthropist or as the one who has the idea for how aid ought to be done. And that really assumes a kind of power dynamic, a kind of relationship that the, you know, the, the beneficiary is supposed to be the one who sort of receives what we bring in and we're supposed to be the ones with the expertise on what they need. But if it sounds like if we're going to have the kind of innovation and, and we're going to bring that business mindset that so many senior leaders in business already have, then we need to move away from just delivering aid and get towards this really this business concept of driving innovation. That's going to, I think, take this shift in how we view people. What do we need to do differently when it comes to how we view people who are in need? Yeah, um, this is one of the reasons that um, ways that lean impact differs from lean startup is, okay. is this whole customer dynamic, right? That if you're in a business and you have a product or service and you sell it to your customer and they pay for that product or service, you have a really nice, clean feedback loop, right? If you, if they don't want the product or service, then they don't pay for it. You find out very quickly that you're off the yeah. market and you better do something different. 
In the social sector, what often happens is that your customer who is who is benefiting from the product or service is often not the person necessarily directly paying for it. There may be a funder paying for it. There may be an intermediary paying for it because we're talking about reaching people who are um, typically don't have a lot of financial resources. And so therefore, your feedback loop is kind of broken, right, that that you could be providing things and the end user may be getting it for free. Um, and the, the third party who's paying for it may be paying for it for any of a variety of reasons, not related to whether the, the person receiving it actually wants it. Um, right. And so, so that makes a feedback loop much more complicated. So one of the first things we need to do when we're talking about impact is fall in love with the problem and not your solution. Um, we, uh, you know, one of the things that makes me so sad is there's there's so many people and organizations and companies with good intentions, but at the end of the day, we are um, instead of focusing on the needs of the people we hope to serve, we're often focusing on um, on our own needs, on you know whether it is to make ourselves feel good, whether it is to promote some technology that or or products that our our company is responsible for, and we're not really putting ourselves in the shoes of the people who we're hoping to benefit, um, and uh, and so engaging the people who we're hoping to serve directly in the process at every stage from, you know, understanding the problem to testing out solutions to designing solutions um, is, is really important so that we, we stay anchored in the felt needs of the people that really um, we're really aiming to benefit. Well, and starting to look at those who really need certain things like clean water, sanitation, or even applying it in a first world context who need to be able to have safe, affordable housing, access to nutrition and nutritious food. You know, when we go into a community and we already think we have the solution, we miss that essential innovative element that actually the solution or the product probably already exists in the community. And I think about, and you worked for Apple, you, you worked for other groups <clears throat> like this. I think about technologies like Siri or, you know, the OK Google function. Those, from what I understand, have a history in adaptive technology that came for people who had, you know, hearing disabilities or who had other sorts of physical or other challenges. And those innovations came by actually listening to the end users in those diverse populations and learning that that sort of human centered design, you know, learning Absolutely. to understand from them what they need and then working backwards to solve that problem. And if you're listening right now and you were going to write one thing down from this podcast, write down, you've got to fall in love with the problem and not your solution. I think a lot of folks in the CSR, the corporate social responsibility world, fall in love with what they're going to do in the community to, you know, da, 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 show up like Superman and all of a sudden they're going to do good. You know, whether that's through just randomly choosing where you're going to go and volunteer, you know, you might have 5,000 volunteers and you're going to go and make an impact. But you just choose, hey, we're going to go to this XYZ charity and we're going to go build a wall or paint a room. What if companies stopped for a second and got intentional, like you said, about what problem do we want to fall in love with? How do we get educated? What does the community need? Not just what does a nonprofit say they need, right? What does the community need? And how can we apply our innovative mindset, that, that entrepreneurial mindset, to solution uh, creation? I just think if you're going to write anything down, 
that whole bit that you just went through is so critical to many people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we absolutely need to focus on the problem. Um, and also we need to be ambitious, right? I'd see mm. these companies who are, you know, reaching billions of people around the world when they work in their own communities, they are, you know, trying to tackle homelessness in their communities or whatever. And they're, they're, they're not solving the problem. They're just like helping a few people. Right. Mm. And so we need to be equally ambitious in the social impact that we're trying to have. And in order to achieve those ambitions, we need to stay rooted in the problem and not think that we have the solutions. And, and part of that is like getting clear signals from the people that we hope to benefit. You know, is this something they really want? Does, is this something that solves a deeply felt need for them? Or is it like, if you're going to give it for me to me for free, of course I'll take it. But is this like how, what they want and how they want it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, they need to be involved in that process. It sounds like what you're saying is that folks who are coming from the for-profit sector in particular have this skill around um, marketplace research, marketplace feedback, that you know iterative cycle, and that if they could think uh, about the social good that they want to do in that way and, and sort of marry again, marry the heart and the head, that they could do so much. But I've got to be honest. And May, there are so many leaders that I talk to who say, look, I care. I want to do good. Now what? Where do I begin? So talk a little bit to that for-profit employee who doesn't work for a nonprofit or social enterprise. How can that person from their leadership lane use this lean impact model and its principles to increase the social leadership and the social good that they can do? Um, well, the first thing I, I would do is start by setting that objective, right? Set an audacious goal for impact um, in whatever space that you're you're hoping to work in. And that audacious goal should be shaped around the problem, not your solution. So it's not like I'm going to get a million of these things out. It's like I'm going to change a million people's lives in X, Y, or Z way. Um, and so that, that is the anchor and the driver. And the, I think of it as the North Star for what we're trying to achieve, right? And then when we think about um, how we design a product or service um, in, in the business world, we often think about both value and growth, right? We think about, is this a product people want? And is there a business model for us to be able to make profits from it? Um, when it comes to uh, social impact, we need to think about a third dimension, which is impact, right? So we need to think mm -hmm. about value, growth, and impact. And it's only when the three of those all come together that we have true social innovation, right? If you think about it, you could, you've seen, we've all seen so many solutions out there that have value to people, have impact to people, but no growth, right? And so they only serve a small number of people and never really serve the size of the need. Or we find solutions out there um, that um, have value and growth, but no, not enough impact, right? So it gets out to a lot of people, but it's not actually improving their lives. Right. Um, so we really need all three of those things. And what that means is, is when we have a product or service, that we start by being humble, identifying our assumptions around value, impact, and growth. What are the greatest risks in each of those areas? Like if you think about it, value is, is this something that people really want, will demand, will come back for, will tell their friends about? Is it sol solving a really deeply felt need for them, right? Have a high bar for, is this something people really value? Um, right. and, and test for that. Um, second is growth. Like, is there an engine for growth that can, um, 
uh, will enable this solution to to reach all the people who could benefit, right? And that that re usually requires some renewable source of funding, either through a revenue stream or through government adoption. And then third, impact is you know for all, if you get this to all these people and they want it, is it really going to improve their lives in the way that you intend? And that's something we need to also be rigorous about and really look at the consequences of of people, you know obtaining this product or service? Is it making the change that you're seeking? Yeah, it's interesting because I would say that social sector leaders, nonprofit leaders are awesome at impact, right? They, yes. In, when they're really focused, right? Not just diffuse doing a bunch of good things, but without some sort of theory of change. But, but when a nonprofit leader gets really focused, impact is their goal. But I would say that Sometimes nonprofit leaders struggle with sort of what's the value and are we sure that the value proposition is right? And then for sure, I think nonprofit and social sector leaders struggle with the idea of scalability, you know, and a part of that is the funding mechanisms, this kind of grant starvation cycle that we get in, plan, plan, fund, fund, now execute, and 10 years later, let's come back and measure, right? Yeah. But the other flip of that is I think business leaders are awesome at value and growth, but don't really know social impact. And they right. don't necessarily think, you know, that's left up to the CSR leader, right? That's left up to the, the ESG leaders, the environmental, you know, folks, the folks who focus on DNI, they'll figure that out, right? But I wonder what could a leader in a business world do to get educated about the social side. I mean, that, that's something they're going to have to learn, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's many, many good tools out there for measuring impact. Um, you know, the, the sort of gold standard people talk about is randomized control trial. But I think mm -hmm. that there are many earlier stage um, tools that you can use to test for impact. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, as I said, the, the, the first and foremost thing is to set a goal for impact that is that you hold as um, high and make as high a priority as your business goals. Right. So if you don't have a goal to start out with in terms of the impact you're trying to achieve, of course, you're not going to achieve that. You know what, what we focus on and what we measure is, is what we optimize. So it has to start there. But then there's a number of tools I talk about in Lean Impact Book and that exist in the world to help us start measuring impact. And the, and the thing is to not let perfect be the enemy of the good, right? So in the mm -hmm. early stages of measuring impact, we don't have to be extremely rigorous. We just have to check to see, are we even in the right quadrant? Are we getting the kind of impact that we're looking for? And then over time, as we gain further and further greater confidence, then we can invest more and more in greater rigor. Um, so just as an example of, of how a social enterprise I worked with um, measures impacts, so, um, there's a, a social enterprise in South Africa called Harambe Youth Accelerator, and they work to uh, combat the scourge of youth unemployment that is a huge, huge issue in South Africa. Um, and so when they think of, you know, most organizations that deal with youth unemployment, they measure their success by the number of youth that they've trained. Right. So, you know, we we have some program, we give youth some skills and then we're going to say, hey, we've trained a thousand youth or 10,000 youth. And and that's sort of our measure of success. Some go further to say, hey, we're not going to just measure how many youth we train, but we're going to measure how many of them get jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little further down the impact pipeline. We're seeing if the training is leading them to get jobs. Harambe goes a step further to say, 
we've realized that it's not sufficient just to know that a youth is has been trained and has gotten a job, but if they ha are able to stay in that job, because the studies show that if a, if a youth is able to obtain a job and stay in the job for at least a year, that that is highly correlated with long-term economic success. And so they're, they want to make sure that youth just don't get crammed into a job and then bounce out, but that they actually are able to stay there. Um, and so that's what they measure. And they me measure in an imperfect way. They text the youth and check in with them. They text the employer and check in with them. They don't get perfect data, but they get a sense of what's happening. Um, and so in their early days, by doing that, um, one of the things they were doing was training these youth who had never had a formal sector job to go work in, you know, kind of grocery stores, you know, as checkout clerks. Um, and so they place these youth in there, they text them, find out what's going on. And what they were finding is a lot of them were leaving the job within a few weeks. Um, and so they, that caused them to ask why, why, why are they falling out of these jobs? And it turned out that a lot of the youth just were not psychologically prepared to be in a job where they had to stand all day. That wasn't something that they'd done before. Mm -hmm. It was something that, you know, that they weren't anticipating and they're like, this is not for me, I'm leaving. Um, and so by checking on that, by learning that, they were able to go back and rejigger their training. So they actually had this creative idea that they would change their training so that they would train youth while they were standing all day. So the youth right. would get accustomed to that for the youth that weren't able to do it physically or um, you know, just, just were, were not prepared to do it, they could channel them to find a different type of job that didn't require them to stand all day. But this way, by the time they actually got to the workplace, they already had that experience and they were more likely to be able to stay in those jobs. Well, and another thing that I've been repeating, I, I don't mean to sound like such a fanboy of your book, but I, I think I got ex excited by it. Another thing that my team at Reconciliation Services will be able to repeat now, because I've said it so many times, is we have to move from vanity metrics to impact, right? And I think you're describing those vanity metrics. And one of the things that I want to bring out is I don't think that's just on the social sector side. I mean, so for example, we could talk about, oh, we employed 25,000 people last year. It's so great. But three weeks later, what's the impact? I think what you're bringing out for the social sector makes so much sense. But I want to flip it and talk about the, the CEO or that, that corporate social responsibility effort you know, if we're not really focused on impact, we might do the same thing. We might just have a vanity metric about 80,000 employee hours last year volunteered. Exactly. Great. So what? Right. Like what to what end and how do you know? And if we're going to move to like brand authenticity or, you know, authenticity in the work that we're doing, I think there's a gauntlet laid down when you talk about vanity versus impact metrics. Absolutely. And just to just to define what the difference is. OK. Um, vanity metrics are are typically um, the, the kinds of numbers you often see, whether from businesses or from nonprofits to demonstrate their impact. We've touched a million lives. We've served a million people. You know, they're usually an absolute number that talks about the activities that were performed. Um, and I, I call those van vanity metrics because they sound really good. Right. We've touched mm -hmm. a million lives. But in fact, they don't tell you anything about whether you improve those lives or if, if you've done any good. It just tells says that you did something. Um, right. Whereas the difference of um, what I encourage people to focus on instead is what I call innovation metrics. And innovation metrics are unit level metrics. So rather than the total number of people you've reached, it's the percentage 
of the people you've reached where something has happened. And I define those unit level metrics around value, growth, and impact, right? So a value unit metric would be um, the percentage of people who chose to adopt your, your product or service, right? You offer it to a number of people, what percentage of them find it compelling? Um, a unit metric around growth might be, um, you know, how many dollars are people willing to pay for this? Or is the government able and willing to, is this simple and uh, enough that government is able to integrate it into their programs? Um, from an impact standpoint, the, the unit metric might be something around success rate, like for Harambe, you know, what is the percentage of youth who are retained in their jobs after a year? Um, and so by defining these unit level metrics, though, th- then we can start optimizing around them, right? So if we can increase our adoption rate, decrease our costs, increase our success rate, then over time, that impact is going to be magnified. Um, and so by starting with those impact mes- metrics, we can then run tests, experiment, optimize around them, and then get to a much better solution that will make a bigger impact for a lot more people. Well, as we wrap up, and I could talk to you all day long, but as we wrap up, I want to ask you to give the audience a charge. You know, if you were to talk to a group of folks who don't work for USAID, they, they probably aren't working for, you know, an expert in lean impact social venture, right? These are normal folks who work in cubicles and want to learn to lead with greater social impact. These are CEOs who run, you know, small and medium sized businesses. They don't have a big CSR department or DEI department and they still go, I care. Now what, what charge would you give them and, and to get them kicked off on how to begin to learn to lead with greater social impact? Yeah, I think that this is behoves all of us to be thinking seriously about. Um, I, I hope that people lead from their hearts because they believe this is the right thing to do. But it's also become the smart thing to do because we're seeing that investors, employees, customers are all looking for companies to not only be out there making profits for themselves, but to be a force for good in the world. So there's a lot of reason to do this. Um, and the number one thing I know I sound like a broken record here that I would say is to set an impact target that is about a problem that you want to solve, you know, in terms of innovation metrics, not not vanity metrics, but what is the impact that you hope to make in the world, you know, the, the, the problem that you hope, hope to solve in the world and be as ambitious about that as you are your business metrics and be as specific about it as you, uh, as you are your business metrics. And if you hold that up front and center, um, in the same way that you do your business targets um, on the financial side. Um, I think that's an incredibly important start because that will point everyone to say, this is a priority and start engaging the creative juices of everyone on your teams and thinking, how can we actually achieve that? Because I think that it's, um, we all have the skills to do it. It's often that we don't have the focus to do it. Well, if you're listening today to the Social Leader Podcast, set your intention. I would challenge you to hit pause right now or as soon as you're done, grab your journal, grab your planner, set your intention, learn to set goals that are aspirational so that you don't give in to just the day-to-day pressures focusing on the short term, but really you you learn to make that bigger difference. And you've heard so much from Ann Mei Chang today that I hope will inspire you and really give you a starting point. Uh, We are so thankful, Ann Mei, for your time today. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with today before we close out? 
No, I'm just honored to be a part of your podcast and and really thank everyone for listening. And, and I assume if you're listening that you care about this question of how do we make a bigger social impact as a society. So thank you for everything you're all doing. Well, thank you for joining us. And if you can go out right now to her website, which is if you'd plug your website. Yes, it's www.leanimpact.org. Easy enough, leanimpact.org, or you can even go to your favorite bookstore or to Amazon and buy Lean Impact, How to Innovate for Radically Greater Social Good. And Mei Chang, thank you so much for joining us on the Social Leader Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.